compare the U.S. response to Mexico, Sister Norma? Well, uh, I wish that the U.S. can see the danger that these families are, are exposed to and that they are allowed to enter the United States and be safe in an area here in the U.S. so we can take care of them as they go through their, their, their asylum process because it's not safe for them to be there in that area. And finally, you wrote a piece in the Washington Post, uh, Sister Norma, um, that COVID-19 has come to our migrant camp. It makes ending the MPP policy even more urgent. In these last 30 seconds, explain how hard COVID has hit there. Well, we are doing our best to control the spread of COVID, and measures are being taken to make sure it doesn't. We're thankful that, that we can do that, but they are truly at the need to move them out of there and allow them to enter the country of the United States is the right way to do it, and I wish that that happened. And we'll link to your piece, MPP, is that Remain in Mexico program. Sister Norma Pimentalo, I want to thank you for being with us, Executive Director of Catholic Charities of the Rio Grande Valley. And thank you to Zanen Jaimez Perez, the Advocacy Director for the Texas Civil Rights Project. We will continue to follow what's happened to these disappeared children and adults. That does it for our broadcast. Uh, if you want to sign up for our Democracy Now! daily newsletter, you can go to Democracy Now! or text the word Democracy Now uh, to the number 66866. That's Democracy Now, one word. Democracy Now produced with Renee Feltz, Mike Burke, Dina Guster, Libby Rainey, Nermeen Sheikh, Carla Wills, Tammy Warrenoff, Tarina Nadura, Sam Alkoff, Tamari Astudio, John Hamilton, Robbie Karen, Honey Masood. I'm Amy Goodman with Juan Gonzalez. Stay safe, save lives, wear a mask. And this is KBOO Portland. It's 8 a.m. on Tuesday, which means it's time for the Abe and Joe Talk Radio Show with your hosts, Joe and Abe. Stay tuned. on your FM dial, we persist in the face of the virus and the insanity of the present administration. That's a Proctor, I'm Joe Uris, and we will take your calls at 231-8187, but I bet you we have a bunch of stuff to say. What you say, Well, I say good morning. Uh, welcome to another Tuesday in this, our Twilight Republic, and the <laughs> nightly uh, ritual of call and response down in the uh, federal district downtown here continues. Um, the absolute insanity, you know, it's, it's really, it's really difficult to pin down any one thing to talk about these days on a one hour weekly talk show, because we are literally on the very steepest part, uh, of whatever curve we happen to be on. We are right in the middle of it. it it's hard to sort, uh, you know, what's historically significant out of the background noise, but we're going to do our best to do that for you this morning. Yeah, and you know, I have an analogy. I once got swept up in a, uh, a, a riptide swimming uh, in the afternoon in San Diego area. It took me forever to get out of it. But that was like this. That is to say, I thought I was going to drown, but I also thought it was absurd. And this is where this is. 
uh, it's like we're going to destroy the republic and destroy all the things, uh, not that many, but all the things that are valuable in the culture. But meanwhile, we have this real, real thing. We have a class uh, in poverty, we have class poverty, we have racial injustice and racial poverty. We have these things that have always been not adequately uh, dealt with. And on top of that, we, uh, as a nation, stumbled into the uh, fascist realm with Donald Trump. Yes, you're absolutely correct. And with seemingly each day, it brings us yet another step along the continuum of normalizing things that even a short number of years ago would have been absolutely absurd to even comprehend, let alone accept as part of our daily existence. Just a couple examples. Uh, yesterday, our erstwhile mayor, Ted Wheeler, who continues to uh, play the part of the uh, avenging progressive uh, mayor to a national audience, uh, issued a tweet. He says, I'm going to read it to you because it's extraordinary. Commissioner Joanne TDX and I, that's Joanne Hardesty, are calling for an immediate meeting with Department of Homeland Security leadership on the ground in Portland and with Acting Secretary uh, Wolf to discuss a ceasefire and the removal of heightened federal forces from Portland. So, a mayor of a major American city is asking for a ceasefire, ceasefire from the federal what? government. From the federal government. I'm saying this is just the surreality of what we're dealing with on a daily basis here. That is very weird. I, I mean, I, I think there has to be a hard line by all of, of government, apparently only the, the local government, the cities and states and so on, because this is simply an invasion. This is not, this is not a constitutionally valid activity. There is no crisis that warrants the use of these really apparently mean and meanly motivated uh, federal troops who are mysterious. We now know where they came from, what age, which agencies and so on. But basically mysterious, mysterious thugs as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And I want to throw out there for the purpose of the discussion another one of these uh, surrealistic milestones that we seem to pass every single day. This is the president tweeting yesterday. <clears throat> so disgusting to watch Twitter's so-called trending section where so many trends are about me and never a good one. They look for anything they can find, make it as fast as possible, and blow it up, trying to make it trend. Really ridiculous, illegal, and, of course, very unfair. So there you have it. President of the United States has declared via tweet, which I don't believe is an official channel of government communication, that criticism of him is, in fact, illegal. Yeah, well, you know, one of the things that it took me a long time to realize, not only is Trump this uh, uh, showman, this Barnum and Bailey character, he's also a stupid person. And, and he talks stupid talk. And I have a very dark view of humanity, I have to say. Back in the old days when racism dominated and we thought IQ tests meant something. No, 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 no. The racism still dominates, Joe. That's why we're seeing everything we're oh, seeing. I didn't, I didn't mean to continue. I'm sorry, you're right. I did not mean to imply that racism has magically gone away. No, 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 no. Far from it. But uh, let me continue with what I'm saying. I believe that what was done on, on IQ tests and was validly criticized was a bias for uh, Anglo-Saxon uh, intellect as opposed to the multiple intellectual skills of many, many different peoples, which is where I was going with that. Anyway, 
In the course of that, the standard Stanford Binet intelligence test, which dominated so much of American uh, intellectual uh, evaluation during the 40s, 50s, and, and into the 60s, and probably beyond that, uh, assumed that there was a scale from one to uh, or from one to 200, and that 50, that is half of that, were under that and half of that were over that. Well, it's arbitrary, it's meaningless in one way, but it does have some, at least symbolic significance, in that I now believe that half of the voting population actually are not ready for citizenship. Not in the sense of they shouldn't be citizens, that's not at all what I mean, but in the sense that they were never well-educated, never well-schooled in any of the fundamentals of science, and actually believe in a magic invisible God, and they actually believe in a magic invisible nation state. And that set of beliefs allows people to be incredibly mean, incredibly awkward in their analysis, and to really be tolerant of the most mean behavior on the part of the government. So if I could just sum that up quickly, uh, a big chunk of Americans are stupid. That's what I believe. So I'll go ahead and paraphrase for you. A big chunk of Americans are stupid. Well, I, I, I refuse to cop to stupid, but I understand. Okay. Well, on the other hand, <laughs> it's very disappointing. It's very disappointing. It is incredibly disappointing. Um, I would like to turn to the demonstrations in Portland last night, uh, if I could. They all seem to be uh, falling into a, a somewhat predictable pattern. There, there's a, a period of time early in the evening um, where the message of Black Lives Matter is prominent. In fact, it's more than that. It suffuses everything that goes on there. Um, it's, it's entirely peaceful. It's uplifting. Uh, it's centered on the experience of uh, people of color. It's oriented squarely at the ongoing illegal and unconstitutional use of state violence against black and brown bodies. And then time passes, and you get the sense that everybody is, uh, you know, sort of knowing what's coming next, and is sort of both at the same time, uh, you know, anticipating it eagerly and dreading it. And eventually something happens, and I think we should be fair here. The activities of a small number of protesters at a certain point during each evening's festivities is designed to provoke and draw out the federal troops inside the courthouse. I, think I don't think true. this think is disputable. Possible. Yeah, I've, I've seen this with my own eyes, and I've seen this repeatedly um, on uh, the video that's being so diligently posted every day uh, by independent journalists and other people who are down there at the protest. So this happens, right? This happens. There are always people who are willing to do something, whether it's an attempt uh, before that new steel fence was erected last week, people were uh, going up into the uh, vestibule there under the courthouse and trying to set fire to the uh, plywood that's covering the doors and windows. And since that fence has been erected, you've seen images of people launching fireworks or uh, tossing things over the fence um, in an attempt to either strike the federal agents who are there or to draw them out of the building. Now, all this is to say that they're that the protesters are not entirely peaceful their methods are not entirely nonviolent. this does not characterize the vast bulk of the people participating in the movement yeah but I wanna, to deny I wanna, that this is true 
would be to deny what's happening yeah. in front of our very eyes. I want to put a whatever you call it on that because I want to come back to the idea of nonviolence before we're done today. But let's yes. go on to what you I do saying. as well. I do as well. Yes. Now that said, every night when the when the the feds come out, there is an inevitable clash of protesters. Uh, usually to uh, uh, satisfy some short-term tactical objective of the feds, which is usually to clear them out of the areas immediately surrounding uh, uh, the courthouse or to clear out uh, the Parkdale, their Lawnsdale Square across the street, which they have done so repeatedly and violently and viciously uh, in recent nights. There was a one night last week where they uh, overturned the, uh, the kitchen uh, setup that was there, uh, slashed open cases of water bottles, Sprayed pepper spray directly into the to the grills and onto the food there that the Riot Ribs organization uh, had been preparing. And let's put a pin in Riot Ribs too because I want to circle back around to them. You know, so there's a level of pettiness and meanness and vindictiveness on the part of the feds that, from our perspective on the left, plays directly into our conception of what those people must be like who are willing to suit up like that every night and go beat on their fellow citizens. So there's really nothing surprising about that there. So it's not surprising, but it is shocking to see it in reality every single night. It is absolutely shocking to see every single night. So eventually it's reduced down the conflict, down to its irreducible parts, right? Those federal agents who want to come out and beat on people, those parts of the demonstrators who are willing to provoke that fact, and then we have this other contingent, which are people who are literally down there. And I think this is the crux of what's happening late at night at these protests. People who are literally down there to put their bodies between the feds uh, and the bulk of the protesters. And this has swelled now to include the so-called wall of moms, the wall of dads, the wall of vets. All of these citizens who are turning out in growing numbers every night to put their bodies in harm's way. Now this says to me that we have crossed some sort of threshold of understanding about what's really going on down there. And this is what I think it is. People are down there every night resisting the feds, not because they want to fight, although, as I mentioned, there's a small contingent who does want to fight. They're down there because the First Amendment is real. The Fourth Amendment is real. These are real rights that we enjoy as citizens. And if we allow these people to come in night after night and beat on our citizens and snatch people off the street and detain them without charging them, to violate their constitutional rights left and right. If we continue to let that happen, then we are conceding that the Fourth Amendment doesn't apply in Portland, that the First Amendment doesn't apply in Portland. And I, for one, refuse to make that concession. We are going to continue to show up every night until these goons pack up and leave. And that is the end of the story. Well, they're not going to back up and leave until the... Until the <clears throat> until the president creates the crisis of losing an election and refusing to acknowledge that he's lost, which I absolutely predict now. I, I think in November we're going to have a real horror show. Yeah, and there's a number of ways in which that might go down, and if we have some time at the end of the show, maybe we can get into that. Well, I, I do have a caller. another time. I think it, it's something that really needs to be talked about soon, but long. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, we have a caller. Okay, let's go with that. Karen, good morning. Uh, Good morning, uh, Joe and Abe. I uh, appreciate your show very much and ordinarily agree with most all of what you say. And I appreciated the information you gave on the um, demonstration. And, um, yeah, and, of course, I agree with you about the feds. 
But I need to take issue uh, with you, uh, Joe. Uh, you made a remark about belief in an invisible magical God uh, as an indicator of uh, inadequate intelligence to be a, a citizen. That's one of the indicators. I agree that the pop population as a whole lacks uh, a lot of education in, in, in civics uh, and politics and the history of the real history of this country. However, I just wanted to point out that the great, the late great John Lewis, a man of enormous courage, enormous strength, enormous intelligence, uh, was a reverend. And the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, who was a man of great intelligence and great courage and great strength, was also a reverend and a believer in God. I also wanted to mention that many African-American leaders are believers in God, some version of God, and that you're <laughs> trashing, say, Judaism or Christianity or Islam with that kind of comment, um, it's implicit, uh, is not a wise thing to do. And Einstein believed in God. God doesn't play dice, he said, incorrectly. But I, I just wanted to mention that trashing the, the people who are on the left or anywhere in the political spectrum because they have a belief in a power greater than, than themselves, some invisible, mysterious force, say, or whatever it is, is it's wrong. And it's, and it's wrong morally, and it's wrong ethically, and it's wrong politically. So I just had to say that because this this plagues this sort of attitude towards religion plagues the left and alienates the left from people who do uh, find comfort and find an experience of God that apparently you haven't had and I'm sorry it's the case but the people I know who are really loving great leaders are often also people of faith. So that's what I wanted to say, and I thank you both. Have a good day. Well, hey, thank you. Yeah, I want to. We get rid of that. Yeah. I, I first of all, I want to um, thank the caller for making that point. It's a valid point. Uh, my criticism has to do with an organized and established uh, religious community that is on the right. I have charred unfairly, and I agree with that unfairly. A lot of people who believe in this, uh, and I have to keep saying it, this magical God. And I, I, because I don't believe in it, because I was raised, and I want to make this clear, many people were raised as Christians or as, as Jews or as followers of Islam or other religions and have very, and are very good people with very valid views and a very great intellectual set of traditions behind them, absolutely believe in this thing. I don't. And I can't help but look at the situation as it is now, probably would have thought the same thing uh, at the time of Jesus Christ, and say, no, no, this is, this is whatever there is that is beyond my knowledge is not that thing that is being worshipped. This is my personal criticism. I can't abandon the beliefs that I was raised with, uh, and particularly because at this moment in history, I see the way in which fundamentalist religious beliefs in this country beginning with the Baptist revivals uh, and the burned-out district of New York, have altered and, and distorted our society. The fact that many intelligent people, the fact that many brave people, the fact that many good people do believe in those things 
cannot, from my point of view, make that thing real. And I, I, I can't, I just simply can't abandon that. Now, maybe someday I will have the moment that I'll get knocked off my donkey and I'll suddenly realize there is such a thing. But right now, in my life, and I'm pretty old, that the whole thing is just uh, magical. And I'm very, very much uh, concerned about magical thinking at this particular moment politically. But I, I, again, I want to validate the caller's point. I'm not dissing people who believe in religion. I am dissing religion, and that's a different thing. Okay. Uh, let's go to Jeremy. Good morning. Darn it, I totally use my dog's name. Call me Monster.Sam, the, you know, relatively proud atheist um, whose, you know, grandfather was a Talmudist. Um, I think that it is a historically huge disaster that anything that's understanding itself as the left in America has prostrated itself. I'm sorry, prostrate, that's right. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm, I'm old, you know, and I'm, that, 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 that's a bad word for me. Um, um, yeah, you, okay, to, but you're doing fine, man. To, to, <laughs> and, and, I mean, I include, I, it, this, this includes even, obviously, you know, great heroic people like Lewis or, or, or Dr. King have, pro, have prostrated themselves, prostrated themselves to, um, well, again, I'm an anarchist, so authoritarian issues are crucial for me. But I'm sick of cowing that cow cowing to to deists and expecting to accept their leadership because they haven't earned it from me. Now I you know you you can't I can't I can't say this to 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 black Christians and expect to have a conversation. I can't say it to white Christians and expect to have much of a conversation. I mean, there's something in in, in liberation theology whereby you you know they're not going to like when I shoot me and well, walk away. But, but um. You know, one of the one of the, you know, I, I'm a huge critic of Bernie from the left. But one of the things I was kind of excited about, as you know, before they got away with with stealing the nomination from him, because the Democrats do both suppression also, is that as far as I can tell, he's an atheist. Now he is, he was downplaying it, but this would have been the first guy, as, at least as a national candidate, um, um, in in my memory, who wasn't you know babbling about God. I, I don't I don't I don't think I don't think Obama's uh, a deist, but he certainly ran as if he were. Well, I think I think what you what you're saying. I I first of all I have to apologize to all our listeners and, and Abe as well. What I raised <laughs> is probably a non sequitur. It doesn't really it doesn't really in in the course of things matter about believing in what I would continue to call a magical being. It is much more important that behavior be derived from wise people coming together to think about how best to make a human society work. And that's certainly valid, and it's certainly valid within the traditions of just, the, I think, every faith in the world. My criticism is about a political phenomenon that attached itself to Christianity a long time ago. And I will admit, and I think this is important, for me to acknowledge, as well as you all out there to think about, that I'm biased on account of how I was brought up and on account of what I've seen. And I have to say, what I have seen and what I was brought up with teaches me that there's more danger 
and fundamentalism of any kind, whether it's Islamic or, or, or Jewish or uh, Christian or whatever, more danger in that than in rational thought. And that's my criticism. But I don't really know. You know, I don't really know. Maybe I'll get to die and meet my maker and have a lot of apologizing to do, or it'll be too late and I'll get thrown into a magical, terrible place called hell. I don't know. I don't know. Nobody knows. And that's the part of it that's so magical. And I'm, I'm going to let it go, because I, I, I almost feel guilty for bringing it into the conversation, because it's really kind of irrelevant to what's going on. It's not. It's never irrelevant. It's never All irrelevant. Right. Oh, really that's true. <laughs> anyway, one of the things I know is that, you know, a common slogan uh, um, throughout, you know, the last 200 years of, of, of European, you know, ultra-left politics is, uh, in French, it's ni dieu ni maître, neither God nor master. Whereas, you know, the, the you know the Leninists, <laughs> they're very interested in being the masters, and a whole lot of of of, of the pacifist left um um is is in a cadaver cult. I mean, it's, I think it to be understand understood correctly why upwards of 50 million people in America are in some sort of regular to them coherent conversation with a 2,020-year-old corpse, it should be understood anthropologically. Cadaver cults, you know, I mean, I like James Dean and, and Jim Morrison, but I'm not going to go, if I ever get to Paris again, I'm not going to waste time looking for his grave. Um, with with all due somehow, respect, I think we, we need to, uh, I think we need to move on. my fault. I need yeah. to apologize. I, it, look, it's irrelevant. I, and I know that I brought it up, and it's, it's, it's a thing. But it, it really isn't relevant to the situation right now. And I want to make one other thing very clear, because I think it's important. My uh, political training included a great deal of it under the leadership of people like Dorothy Day and others who are Christian and pacifist. So it's not like, hey, uh, I really am absolutely certain there ain't nothing going on. Uh, hey, I'm really certain there's some kind of dialectical materialist solution. Here. Okay, can, can we please leave this topic behind? Yeah, go ahead. Wrap it up, Joe. Thank you. I agree. So, okay. I, I apologize. Let's leave. Thank it you, behind. caller. You're listening to Abe and Joe's Theological Corner on KBLA. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's go to Jim. Jim, good morning. Good morning. Hey, good I was wonder, I was getting worried that uh, Trump would start a war uh, to get himself reelected, like uh, Bush Jr. or or Reagan did. But now he started a war in America against uh, Americans. And so he said he needs to dominate the streets so the demonstrators in Portland can't step down and create a peace because they don't want to let Trump have a victory. So, you know, but Trump is taking this as law and order campaign. He's taking it nationally. You know, all the boogeyman from Portland are coming to get you suburban white white women and housewives so how do the how do you uh rectify this you know the demonstrators can't stop but yet it uh well why why did you call women particularly i'm just curious i'll take my answer off the air thanks i joe i don't believe that he was tarring women uh i think he was raising the very valid fact that the optics of a group of middle-aged white moms, and let's be fair, they're not just white moms, but this is Portland, so they're mostly white moms. The, the optics of that image uh, do not play well 
in the president's uh, quest to start a war in America. And I think that was a pretty accurate formulation of what the president is trying to do. The president wants scenes uh, and images of chaos and violence in the months leading up to the election so that he can position himself as a candidate of law and order. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, I think that's a very Hitlerian thing, and it's going on right now, and it, it's, it's extremely frightening. And, it, and I don't know how one gets a handle on it, because you can't say to people, particularly young people at this time in history, don't go into the street, don't protest. That doesn't make any sense either. Uh, I wish, I really wish, that, uh, that the teachings of Martin Luther King and John Lewis and others, whether or not they were uh, religiously motivated, is irrelevant. Those teachings are extremely valid as structural ways, tactical ways, to deal with authority. And I wish that was the dominant notion of the left at this time in history. And it isn't. And it, it's more about anger and reflex, and I can go into some kind of psychological analysis, but the fact of the matter is that we are not organized for nonviolence at all. We are organized for rage. That's, that, I, Joe, I think that is false on its face. I think one evening spent down at these protests will make you realize that the vast, vast bulk of the people down there are not behaving violently and are dedicated to the principles of nonviolence. Well, okay. I can't argue about that. I haven't been down there recently at all. So, okay, um, let's keep moving along. Let's go to Michael. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, guys. I have a. I thought up a tactic this morning that if the protesters adopted it, the feds would probably be gone in a week. Okay, let's hear. You it. want to hear it? Yeah. Yes. Sure. So let's say you're a peaceful protester, which the vast majority of them are, and from your midst you see somebody launch one of those industrial-grade fireworks at the federal officers. You've come down with a flashlight, all of you, and what you do is you back away from this person, turn on the flashlight, shine it on them and light them up, and make like a wall around them about 10 feet away, and then cooperate with the police or the federal officers when they come and arrest whoever it was that launched that firework. If, you, if, you, if the nonviolent protesters adopted this nonviolent tactic, the small but, number but, of violent people would But aren't, so you, really, aren't you really suggesting uh, taking the police authority uh, to, to the people and using that authority to support the notion that this is a somehow a very violent revolutionary effort, when in fact, actually, it is chaotic, but not particularly, and not particularly significantly, deliberately designed to hurt people. No, it's not designed to hurt also, people, of course not. You're also suggesting that uh, the solution here is for uh, the body of protesters to uh, single out members of their own and throw them to the beast? I don't think that's particularly in keeping with the values of solidarity that have brought everybody down there. Well, if you want to, think that's if you want to have so you want to have solidarity with the people that are launching the fireworks or throwing uh, whatever it is they're throwing, then that makes you complicit in those acts of violence. And it... No, no, I disagree with their methods, not necessarily their uh, their ideology, nor the, the set of principles that they're down there uh, ostensibly to uphold. Uh, you know, it's a question of tactics. It's a question of methods. And I don't believe that, uh, that tossing protesters to the lions uh, is the way to go. Even when the protesters have done something violent? 
even when the protesters have done something violent. Now let's let's talk about this for a minute because I think this is really important. The sort of violence we're decrying right now and the sort of violence that the government is cracking down on with disproportionate force is violence against property. Now, you can say whatever you want about violence against property. Uh, generally, we have laws against it because it makes for a much more peaceful and stable society when people can feel a relative level uh, of peace and the sense of protection for their property. But let's, let's be real here. Uh, vandalizing the courthouse or whatever it is these people are doing with fireworks. And what exactly is an industrial grade firework? I would really like to get into that at some point. None of this is, none of this equates to violence against a human being. They're not the same. And the, the, they demand a proportionate response. And what we're seeing from the feds is not proportionate with the destruction or vandalism of property. No, in fact, so, it's no. creating property, it's a creating property with people. And that's it, right. It, it is, in fact, a very weird uh, approach, and it is deliberately designed to exploit people's fear of disorder. This is fascism in action. So, to, to get back to your suggestion, I wholeheartedly reject sacrificing uh, members of the protest crowd because I disagree with their methods. Not going to do that. Also, this notion of signaling them out with a, with a flashlight. It's horrifying, especially because there's footage of this and you can see online today. Last night, there was somebody up high in the courthouse shining a green light down upon members of the crowd who were then uh, essentially painting them and lighting them up as a target for impact munitions from the other feds. So, no, I, no, I don't think your uh, suggestion's a good one. And but thank I, you I for think, the call. I think when... Uh, All right, folks, we are experiencing some technical weirdnesses. Please stay tuned, and we will be right back with Abe and Joe just as soon as possible. Keep it locked on your community connection, KBOO Portland.
Yeah, look, sorry about that, folks. Hey, no worries. Uh, <laughs> I shouldn't be saying that. But anyway, it is what it is. It's uh, broadcasting uh, during wartime. Um, let's go to Robbie. Good morning. Hey, good, mor good morning. Hey, what's on your mind? Yeah, I, you know, I, I just wanted to first bring up, you know, the, the whole you know, the, the theology thing, it's like, you know, I, I, I can determine who is actually uh, a spiritual individual by what they practice. And you'll see uh, the Poor People's Campaign is completely started by, um, you know, religious, you know, sectors. So I just wanted to bring that up because he's always, you know, you're always, you're always trashing on people for believing in a mysterious God. And it's like, that's, that's offensive, you know, just there's people that are religious and are doing it the right way, and those are the people that you looked up to. I'm glad you apologized. No, I, 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 I want to say you're certainly right. I'm very harsh on this issue. I look at the history of the West. Uh, I could look at the history of any part of the, of the world and say the same thing. It is not. It really is not a question of, of a divine being. It is not a question of a righteous set of teachings, certainly of, of which there are many within the, all the faiths I can think of. It is, it I, is I simply think, a misuse of religion that I'm criticizing. And I think, I don't know, I have no way to know. I don't believe anybody truly knows uh, the I, I nature can understand of how the universe. I, yeah, yeah. And, and I can understand how religion is like, it can be a very bad thing. Uh, but, you know, like ultimately nationalism can be, patriotism is, you know, like the, all these things can be taken to those extremes, uh, which is what you were saying. Anyway, I wanted to bring up the protests. I also disagree. I'm glad that you uh, you mentioned that you were there. There is so many diverse tactics going on down there. And to say uh, that, you know, we're not peacefully, you know, whatever it is. I, I got to say, I'm just getting super mad at the liberals right now, and I know we always go at it, but here, here's the thing. It's, it's, when we play this game, which you're doing, staying away from the protests and then critiquing it like some dive competition and being like, oh, this is a bad protester or, oh, this is a good protester, 
that's a slippery slope, especially when you haven't even been there. And I'm getting tired of our side. I say our side, no. Democrats, liberals, progressive people who are out there. And now, now, you know what the news is doing now? They're turning it into something. They're trying to diverse. They're trying to divide us. They're saying it's a white spectacle. You know what? You know why that's happening? It's because they're trying, yes. to divide, they're trying to divide our support. And here's the thing. I'm, I, I'm working with groups that are working with Teresa Rayford. You know, I'm working with groups that are, you know, like right in it. And RCJ, I'm going to say I did not approve. I don't like what RCJ did. Uh, I found it weird that they were co-opted immediately. I found it weird that all the liberals flocked to RCJ when there had been Don't Shoot established in the first Black Lives Matter. Now Teresa Rayford's getting kind of a total blackout. Uh, ironically, she's running for mayor. But here's here's where here's where it's coming down to this this when we're when we're turning this into a situation of uh, property damage is being violent we're we're distracting from the thing and I want to remind you, you yes, know, if you actually agreed. do support Martin Luther King and agree with what he did they killed him they killed Martin Luther King and I say they the government killed him. Look it up. In 1999, the Martin Luther King family took the Memphis police to court and won, proving a conspiracy with not only the U.S. Army, but the U.S. National Guard that they conspired with Jowers to kill Martin Luther King. So if we're going to follow these people things, there are people doing that. But to, and, and, and I agree with you know, what you're saying. You know, we can't we can't say we know what the diverse you know, I can't say I know for sure what tactics going to use. So when we're out there and we're like, oh, you know, let's throw people to the police, you're 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 literally falling into what the media wants to happen to the movement, which is divided. Well, I think you're right. Wait, neither Joe nor myself are advocating that. We had another caller who suggested that was the case, and we roundly rejected that proposition. No, I I, I heard that, and that was really good because we okay. we really okay. can't fall victim to that because at the end of the day you know we're, we're out here and right now if you if you just google search white spectacle that's what the net that's what the mainstream news is doing they're trying to turn this into an us versus them and a lot of the uh black leaders that i'm following right now they're they're commenting they're like no we need to be out here the white people need to be out on the front lines risking it and the, what the media is trying to do now is calling it a white spectacle and what that's doing is it's creating this narrative of us versus them and it's a tactic that they're doing to divide us. And I'm, it's just sad because when I'm watching it fall victim to us, it's like, you know, I, I want to remind you, you know, Martin Luther King died, was killed by the, by the government. And it was six to seven days of rioting, looting, and burning down every city across the nation that they finally passed the Civil Rights Act. So when we're doing these peaceful protests and whatever, which is what we're trying to, you know, all these people who want to quote me, Martin Luther King, Martin Luther King said that marches and rallies are a cry for help. And I'm hearing all these people expect this protest or eight protests, a rally, a march to fix these problems. And that's not how they work. What they're designed to do is put pressure on the system. We are applying pressure yep. on that federal building every night. Yep. We're taking this right to them. And we're saying fix yep. the problem, and that's how we get stuff done. Anyway, thank you. I just wanted to hear. I just wanted to. So, yeah, yeah, that was a great call. Thank you. And yeah, I totally no, agree. I, that's I why we have to be there. That's why we have to be there every night until they leave. 
I agree. Night. And by the way, I, I don't know that I, I'm not being defensive here, but I don't have a, a lot of choice about being down there. Up mm-hmm. until this particular event, I pretty much was at most of these things. But now, and this is going to shock everybody, I'm 80 years old. I have a partner who is, uh, has uh, certain health issues. Uh, I think she would be very upset if I put her in danger by indirectly being down there. And I don't feel like I have to be there to be a, a participant. I, I support what's going on overall. I have criticism overall. I think that what is important is that we're on the air talking about these things when, in fact, our regular media is, is talking blah, blah, really blah, blah. Certainly. And I, th- I think we should make a very important point here, and that is that um, anyone who has a legitimate reasons to not go join these protests, you should not feel ashamed for those reasons. I think any rational person can look at the world right now and say there, there are plenty of very good reasons why I should not go uh, mingle with a loud crowd of people right now. That's entirely legit, and you should not feel ashamed. And in this day and age, there are plenty of ways for you to stay absolutely tuned into what's happening and even watch it unfold in real time. So if you can't make it down for whatever reason, don't feel bad about it. You're not cut off from the movement. On the other hand, don't do nothing. Do some things. Yes. There are things you can do from a distance. There are things you can do just writing letters, just uh, acting in, co- in concert with others to speak out uh, collectively or individually, uh, correcting people when they're actually in, uh, intellectually wrong or they're factually wrong is an important part of the process. One of my criticisms still, uh, and I come out of the background of teaching in uh, the university system, most students that I encountered were miseducated by the public, by the public educational system, and it's almost as if it was a conscious effort. We learned, when I was a young person, about Christopher Columbus, who is still thought of by idiots like the president as the guy who discovered America, when there were, in fact, very successful societies, and, in fact, he never, he never got to the mainland of North America or South America. All right, let's uh, go back to our callers. Uh, David is next. Hey there, guys. I just had a, uh, a few questions, and I'll take my um, uh, your your commentary off the air. One is, I I keep waiting to hear an interview or a couple of interviews of people that have been taken by the feds. Um, yeah. You know, downtown Portland. I'm just curious as to why there hasn't been any interviews with those people. And also, just to sort of a logistical end uh, of things, I'm just curious as to where the uh, feds are staying, like where they're sleeping, and who's catering the food um, to keep them fed. Uh, <laughs> well, you want to you want to nip the the, the the snake at the belly. Oh, thank you for the call. Uh, we we addressed this briefly earlier. Uh, we know that at least uh, some of the feds are staying at the Marriott down by the river. Um, if they're staying elsewhere, it's entirely possible. We don't know. Uh, also, the question about where are the interviews of the detainees, that's a very good question. It might be that they're out there and I haven't found them yet, uh, but that's something I would very much like to learn more about. Well, we know we know people are being seized. We know they are being held without legal <coughs> representation. We know that their rights are violated. <coughs> we don't know exactly how that process is done. That is, who do they pick on? Why do they pick on the people they pick on? Is it just the opportunity 
to get an isolated person or what? A lot of things we don't know. But we do know that this is going on, and we do know that it's under the auspices of the United States government. We do know a little bit about these people. We know uh, that the bulk of them are drawn from a, an elite tactical unit within the Customs and Border Patrol Agency. Now, <laughs> the question of why does the Customs and Border Patrol Agency need an elite tactical unit is a very good one and one that deserves its own uh, attention. We're not going to go there right now. We know that, that this is where the bulk of them come from. Uh, more come from uh, uh, the Department of Homeland Security and the Federal Protective Service, which is the group of federal police that protect federal properties all around uh, the country. So we know that this is where these agents are coming from. Why is this important? Because these agencies that I've talked about are among the most politicized agencies in the and the ones uh, whose rank and file display the most support for the president. In other words, those types of people whom we sometimes rightly, sometimes wrongly, stereotype as the sort of authoritarian uh, personalities who like to get into law enforcement to crack heads. It's those kind of people who make up uh, the ranks of the federal agents who are beating up Portlanders night after night. Now, this brings into play another very, very important question. Why are these people unidentified? The official answer is the, it's because they fear reprisal uh, from the people they may illegally beat on and whose constitutional rights they might violate. Now, this tells you a very important thing about what's happening here. The federal troops who are beating on Portlanders are hiding behind anonymity because they're afraid that they're going to be punished for what they are doing. And that tells you that they know, they know that what they're doing is both illegal and unconstitutional, and they know they have very good reason to fear the wrath of the very citizens that they're beating on. Yet another facet of this situation that is entirely abhorrent to people of good mind and good conscience. Well, we have, we have the archetypal example of when, when Donald Trump wanted to hold up a Bible, a book I am really sure he has never read, <laughs> but he wanted to hold up a Bible in front of a church his 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 armies under false pretenses most of them didn't know what was going on came down using using old time techniques like having uh, armored uh, troops having men on horses with uh, with uh, batons all kinds of that type of of force uh, attacked a peaceful crowd in a public square and moved those people out of the way so that the uh, the Justice Department head and the president could march across the street and have him hold up a Bible and say nonsense. This was real. This really happened. And oddly enough, it wasn't declaimed. It wasn't exposed enough. People still don't know that this was a pure, bold thing. Well, I think they do. And that was really the catalyst uh, for an up upsurge in protests. Uh, across the country. Well, you're probably right. I, I, I should modify my position. Right? I've become a little uh, little dark-minded as I watch this thing progress, because what I'm seeing is a classic example of a repetition of something that happened a long time ago and led to World War II. Uh, Sonia, our engineer, has likened these federal agents to uh, the Roman Praetorian Guard, which I think is a pretty apt comparison. Well, it would only uh, be relevant if they, uh, if they killed the emperor. Oops, I didn't say that. 
All right, let's go to Linda. Historical reference. Linda, good morning. Hi, good morning. Thanks for the show, you guys, and for all the people calling in. Um, I wanted to say that one of the things I've been observing is that um, the narrative has been tried to be sculpted by, I don't know who, media and certainly the police and the police union, that, that you know, that the um, feds are here to protect federal property that's being violently attacked. I agree, by the way, that property uh, destruction is not the same as violence. Um, but really, they came, if you look back, they came after we were the first place to actually, or one of the first places to actually put limitations on the police to vote out some of their money and to get rid of them in schools, et cetera. And the Black Lives Matter movement here was strong in doing that, and they hated Portland anyway for its, its independence. But they wanted to, um, this is, the attack on Portland is attack on black lives. They came and met with the head of the police union. They met with nobody yep. else from any of the state or city governments. They didn't even talk to our local media at all. They only talked to Hannity on Fox. And they met with the, the police union head, who was happy to have them come, probably invited them. And they're here to bolster police enforcement and to stop us, the citizens, from limiting police so they're really here attacking black lives, and we just have to not let anybody say that when we're saying feds out, we're not putting black lives first. Because I promise you, feds in is black lives gone. And that's what they're doing. They're supporting police forces around the nation, so this whole move to limit police is stopped. And, and as right. well, I think it's a very good rehearsal for the election. I think it's a definite run out. Maybe troops will still be in place by the election. No, I, I think you're. I think you're absolutely right. I think that one of the things that's happening, unfortunately, is because there's it, Portland being a predominantly white city, the crowds are white, uh, predominantly. There's a tendency to to dismiss the role of African Americans and other persons of color in this struggle. They are nevertheless involved, and they are and they are absolutely in many cases actual leaders of some very exciting things. Uh, and I, I think that we have to be very careful, and I guess I'm among the we there, not to diss the communities, the conservatively, relatively conservatively uh, based communities within the African American, for example, community. It's all of a piece, and all of us have more in common than we have in difference in this struggle. This is about democracy, and this is about having a system of government that represents the people. And there is no question in my mind that we now have a government that would be, if it were not stopped, totally fascist, and we have to be frightened of that, because our very freedoms, our very rights, our very fairnesses in all things are being challenged by a absolutely opportunistic, fortunately clownish, uh, fascist. Did you have any more to add? Call it <laughs> done with that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, thank you very much uh, for the call. Uh, the caller, I think, um, brought up a, a very key aspect of this entire discussion, in, which is uh, I've heard the question asked many times, and I've asked it myself, why does the mayor, if he's calling for a ceasefire or if, if he's so believes that what the feds are doing is in the violating the rights of people of the city, why does he not deploy the Portland Police Bureau between the federal agents and the protesters? And the answer might be, uh, might lie in what the caller brought up, the fact that uh, the president of the Portland Police Union, Daryl Turner, 
was the only uh, official of any kind at the city level to meet with uh, uh, Secretary Wolf and uh, members of the federal contingent here in town. It may very well be that they agreed that the Portland uh, Police Bureau officers will not interpose themselves between the feds and the protesters. Well, That's entirely possible. Well, it's particularly uh, indicative that the courts stopped the Portland police from initiating uh, the toxic chemical attacks on demonstrators. Yeah. All right, let's go to Cassandra. Good morning. Good morning. I'm getting to be a regular with you guys. Um, Oh, we love it. You're a great caller. (laughs) Okay. Um, Two things. One, a point earlier concerning protesting. There are many different ways to protest. Yes, there are some of us um, like Joe, I have someone at home, my 17-year-old, who is very ill, so I cannot go to, and I'm almost 60, so I cannot go to the front lines and protest, which I very much want to, but I cannot take the chance as a single mom to allow my son <clears throat> to become <clears throat> motherless, whether through COVID or whether through being beaten up. So there are other ways to protest, and no matter what, we all need to raise our voices in protest. Um, the idea of the First Amendment, the, you know, the right to protest and free speech, well, freedom of speech really is contingent upon what sort of uh, resources you have. Most people do not have the right to free speech, in my opinion, because they, we don't have the resources. Uh, very few do. But there is a few ways to do it. Now, one of the things that happened here in Vancouver, Washington recently, about a month or so ago, they had a protest with cars where everyone went down Main Street, um, stayed in their cars, stayed safe, but had uh, signs on it and so forth. That gave me the idea, bless their hearts, uh, that I started buying stickers. Uh, You can go online, there are many sites, and you can put bumper stickers together that you want to say whatever, and you can put signs in your window to simply support Black Lives Matter. You can put signs in your windows to say, in my case, again, I have a stake in this with a 17-year-old, um, children aren't guinea pigs. Don't open schools until they're safe. Uh, right. Defund the police and invest in people and programs. There are ways that you can make your voice felt. I've had my stuff peppered all over my car now, and I go to and from work, and I have had it peppered all over, and I've had some interesting people have not been violent. They have been looking at them. I've had a few people comment that they think it's a great thing. So you're getting people to think. You're kind of putting it in their face, but isn't that what protesting is? You're trying to make people aware as well as put pressure on the powers that be. You also want other people to realize they have a voice and they have a stake in this and they need to be voicing it, whether it's putting it in their yards, what, you know, whatever they can do, don't be the silent you know, majority that, that sits by and, and, and lets it happen. Let's not right. rehearse for Nazi Germany, you know, 2.0. We don't need to be the ones that don't speak up and don't say anything. Well, oh, I, and I, the second I, thing I was, agree with I you. Saw I, something, I, go ahead, well, I saw something I got to tell you uh, Saturday. My son and I, yeah, you know, we have the heat wave hit us on Sunday, and so we put in an air conditioner. And while we were outside putting in the air conditioner in the window, my son said, Mom, look, and I turn around, and coming down our very suburban street, which is nowhere near anything, was 
a uh, camouflage vehicle, looked like army vehicle, but it had been taken apart, and there were guys in full camouflage body gear and automatic weapons, and they looked like they were cruising, mm. like they were making their presence felt. That sent chills beyond words up my spine, that I don't know That's who they great. are, I don't know if they're just wannabes, or if, they're, if they have any sort of you know, federal connection, I don't know. But whatever they were, they felt like they had the right to be flagrantly at 12.30 in the afternoon driving down our main street down there, our, our big old you know, suburban street, doing this. We've got to fight back against this, is my point, in any way we can as individual people. Obviously not by taking up arms. We want to do this peacefully. And our words are about as peaceful a power as we have, but they need to be out there. Okay, that's my comment. It creates a sort of uh, a sort of positive feedback loop, doesn't it? The more support you see, the more invested you feel in the cause, the more support you put out there to be seen, it creates a virtuous cycle. Yeah, I, 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 virtuous cycle, uh, that virtuous effort is very, very important. Uh, we we cannot, we must not fall into the pattern of, of, of prying out for some kind of a revolution that is violent. It won't work, it isn't a good idea, and it is very dangerous because it can be seized by other opportunists. We need to be, and I, I really think this is important, we need to be thoughtful and we need to really respect. Uh, I mean, the, the death of John Lewis is, is important because it tells us, it reminds us that you can make social change nonviolently. And this is really an important fact. And I think it's just, we're not, we're just not, as a culture, willing to listen to that <clears throat> because our history has so often involved violence. Agreed. And we're going to have to leave it there. Great discussion today. Thank you to all of our colleagues who took, uh, took part. Thank you to everybody who's turning out night after night down uh, town. For those of you who can't, uh, you know, keep up the fight in any way that you can. We're tuned to listener-supported community radio, KBOO Portland. KBOO Community Radio is a proud...